More than 250 new laws were created during the recent session of the Indiana General Assembly. Most of them take effect July 1st. They range in subject matter from the monumental to the mundane, but each is important in their own way. This group of laws will have a dramatic impact on the lives of Hoosiers in a number of ways. We'll be talking about some of those laws today as we launch our Indiana In-Depth podcast by CNHI News, a public affairs program that will explore, discuss, and debate the issues that matter most to the Hoosier State. I'm Max Jones, editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, and I will be your host for this discussion. Joining me is Jeff Kowalewski, editor of the Kokomo Tribune. This is an exciting day for us, Jeff. Thanks for being here to help us kick off this project. I'm glad to be a part of it. Thanks, Max. Well, this session was remarkable in many ways. There were a number of pressing matters that needed attention, including adoption of a new biennial budget, infrastructure, ISTEP, pre-K education, and then there was a new governor's arrival on the scene. So what strikes you as the most significant results of this session and the new laws that it produced? I think the most significant is the infrastructure changes that were made and the tax increases to um, gasoline to pay for bridges, roads, wastewater, sewer. This is a, a problem that the state and probably every state in the nation is dealing with on how to pay for these these improvements. This is a legislature that took a problem and gave it a long-term solution, which is a big contrast to what's going on in Washington. Well, speaking of contrasts, it's also a big difference from what previous legislatures in this state have done. When you think back and uh, realize that over the past uh, year's sessions of the General Assembly, that's been a whole lot of time cutting taxes. And this year marked a distinct departure from that approach, and they actually uh, raised some taxes uh, with a purpose. This is a legislature with a supermajority of Republicans in both the House and the Senate and they raised taxes significantly. Well, there certainly was a lot of issues that were discussed. Pre-K education was a big one. Uh, The opioid crisis certainly has gotten a lot of attention in the state. So we're going to get a chance to talk about those issues a little while later. But Jeff, do you have any thoughts about any issues that maybe the legislature missed out on this year? If infrastructure was a home run, They struck out on what was a leadership initiative to come up with a independent commission to help in changing the lines of the legislative and congressional districts, something that legislatures have to do every 10 years after our census. Leaders said this is what they wanted done, and uh, the bill didn't even get out of committee, so... I think the leadership is having difficulty convincing the Republican members in particular of their caucus that this would be good for the state as a whole. A lot of talk, but no action on that particular issue. That's correct. Well, we have a couple of distinguished guests joining us to discuss the new laws taking effect. They witnessed and participated in the process that led to these new laws, and they will bring a unique perspective to their purpose and potential impact. Up first is Representative Terry Austin, an Anderson Democrat who serves District 36 in the Indiana House of Representatives. Welcome, Representative Austin. Thanks for having me today. When you look at this crop of new laws, what strikes you as among the most significant and why? I think our continuing efforts to improve mental health services and treatment to individuals and also to really arrest some of the expansion of the opioid crisis is probably one of our most significant. Uh, What were specifically some of those laws that you would point to uh, that that could have a dramatic impact on this? Well, I think one of the most significant is that we 
increased the budget for Recovery Works, which is a program that is designed to deal with folks who've been charged with a felony, who suffer from a substance abuse, to get them into significant treatment and wraparound services model um, that's being piloted across the state. We raised that from $20 million to $30 million, and they're having significant success with Recovery Works. And so the fact that we were able to target some additional money towards it, I think is going to go a long way in terms of it's, it's different than drug court because it includes a host of other services that, that drug courts, quite honestly, aren't designed to provide. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what some of the statistics and reporting on that particular program will bring next year. Representative, many of our listeners are going to wake up on July 1. They're going to have to stop at the local gas station, fill up their car, and they're going to notice that they're going to be paying $0.07 cents in state tax for their gasoline. Could you talk to people about what the – am I wrong on the $0.07? Cents? $0.10. Cents. $0.10. Cents. Okay. $0.10. Cents. On, the, on each gallon of gas. What, what would you say to these people? Why is this important? I would suggest to folks that they, one, continue to communicate with their local legislators about how they feel about it. I'll just be upfront. It was not a bill I chose to support in the end. I thought 10 cents, a 10 cent increase, a 25% increase in all BMV fees, and the additional taxes that went along with all of that was too much for the constituents that I represent. And because it's one of the most regressive tax forms that we have, it also makes Indiana the fifth highest gas tax in the nation. We now have a 28 cent per gallon gas tax as opposed to what we had before, which was 18. In all fairness, what I would say is, and I told folks this publicly, I would support a five cent increase and then phase in an additional five cents over the next five to eight years. I thought that was fair. And it gives people time to plan. You know, you think about it, this is going to hit small businesses who do primarily service-related, where they do a lot of driving. It's going to hit folks who have to commute. Many of those are lower-paid service sector jobs. We don't really have a viable form of mass transit to help people offset it. In the end, it hurts students who commute. It it hurts people who oftentimes are the least able to afford a significant increase like that. The argument was, well, this is only going to cost folks an additional $2.40, I think they said, a week. Um, If you're someone who drives to Indianapolis and back for your job, or say you drive to Kokomo, which a lot of people still do, or Muncie, or even, you know, truck drivers for a living, it's going to be a significant increase. It's going to be a heck of a lot more than $2.40. On the other hand, making sure that we have good roads is important. And, you know, we know that the average Hoosier I think spends around $375, $400 a year in road repairs or car repairs because of road problems. I would just, my son was an example. Last week he blew a tire on his car. It was, and damaged the wheel. It was over $500 to repair it. One of the uh, other factors that was entered into the infrastructure bill long-term was the prospect of introducing tolls more thoroughly on Indiana roads. Now, in, in, my, in my area around Terre Haute, that's a big deal because I-70 certainly has been one of those highways mentioned uh, as a possible toll road, as has both north and south I-65. Do you see the legislature playing a role going forward in assessing the value of those tolls, or will that just be turned over to the Department of Transportation and the executive branch? I think in the bill, I think the final version, 
I don't think I'm wrong on this, um, is that we actually gave that authority to NDOT and to the governor. There was an argument that they had to at least do a feasibility study and bring a fiscal case back to the General Assembly. And that's why there were so many ins and outs on this thing in the final minutes. You know, it was kind of trying to make sure you understood what all the major components were. Uh, Here's what I think we can learn from our current efforts at tolling, and primarily that's up north at this point, and also down south in Louisville um, on 65 into Kentucky, Louisville. The One of the things we know is it definitely helps drive traffic off onto local roads. People will try to circumvent the tolls. Tolling, I know it's a popular effort in Europe and other places. I think we've got a lot more homework to do before we say we're going to have widespread tolling in the United States, quite honestly. Do you think um, there's going to be an issue with funding at the state level, particularly after we find out what's in the federal budget? Are you worried that state aid, that Medicaid aid, particularly for people who were caught in the opioid cycle, that the federal budget is going to shortchange Hoosiers? I am concerned about it. In fact, I was actually having a conversation this morning with representative from the Indiana Hospital Association, knowing that this morning as we speak, the Senate Republicans at the congressional level are rolling out their version of, I think it's the American Health Care Act, in contrast to the House version. And so I think everybody's concerned. I know governors are concerned about it because trying to, I mean, that's why programs like Recovery Works and others are proven research-based strategies to try to deal with some of these significant issues. And then if the Medicaid piece of that gets knocked out from under us, you know, that additional $10 million we appropriated may not, may just help us keep our heads above water, may not help us make any ground. And so I, I think everyone is concerned about how the federal government, whether it's additional infrastructure funding or even, I mean, it's been reducing over the last several years. We've not seen an infrastructure bill yet, to my knowledge, at the federal level. Um, or what we're about to see what is the health care bill and the money that would follow that to the states. I think everyone's concerned about it because the only option is to start to roll back coverage, not just people losing coverage, but actually rolling back some of the, whether you call them mandates or required protections, mammograms, preventive care, things like that for well care, baby care. If we're gonna, if you're gonna lower your Medicaid cost as a state or face the thought of it really starting to grow significantly, um, you just simply, and, and it is the second highest expenditure in the state's budget, by the way. Education is at about 52. I want to say it's about 35 to 40 percent. That's that's my best recollection. So it's it's really going to take a we're going to take a hit on it. Representative Austin, one of the uh, steps that this legislature did take uh, in terms of education was to uh, uh, promote an expansion of the pre-K programs in the state. I know this is now having a big impact here in Madison County, in your area. It certainly is in Vigo County, where I am. And I do believe, Jeff, that Howard County is affected by the expansion as well. Uh, how do you assess the movement that the legislature is making? Is this enough? Do we need more? Uh, are you satisfied? 
I'm thrilled to be a part. I am thrilled to be a part of the expansion, the 15 county expansion. It's going to mean a lot for a number of families. I do have some concerns about some of the strings that were attached. I think we're going to have to find some creative ways to work through them. Do I wish we were doing more? You're talking to a lifelong educator. So I know the value of early education and what it can do in terms of saving money down the road. Those are the kind of smart investments I think the state needs to kind of go full steam ahead on. Quite honestly, if we want to try to deal, I mean, the more educated and healthier we can make our population, and even starting with some of our youngest children, I think the better it says for our state down the road 20 years or more. So I would like to have seen us double that amount. I hope that what the state can do is take a lead in helping those counties, one, that were a part of the initial five-county pilot and now the additional 15, so we're up to 20. Let's stop studying the issue. I mean, we got enough data for, you know, a dissertation at this point. But let's find a way to, one, look in those, look at those counties where they're struggling to even put their applications together. Let's go out there and help them. And then let's also take those 20 counties and have them start to pull together additional stakeholders to find out how we can expand our own program even within our county without additional tax dollars. There's a lot of private resources I think we can bring to bear. Um, School districts that are, you know, would like to help partner in some way. Head Start needs to be a part of it. We need to bring everybody to the table and say, we know we're going to help this number of children this year with this expansion. How can we double that in five years? There's a ton of new laws uh, taking effect, uh, some big, some small, some that maybe uh, a lot of us have never really heard about or thought about. So before you get away from us today, I was going to ask you uh, about any laws that you would like to point out that uh, maybe not a lot of people know about, but you think do have a lot of significance. Let me talk about House Bill 1337, Telemedicine Matters, House Bill 1391, which is Social Worker Licenses, which is a bill that I co-authored, and then House Bill or Senate Bill 59, which is another one on professional licensing. We've got a huge shortage of mental health workers in this state. We're in dire circumstances in terms of psychiatrists and others. One of the things, um, social workers is another area where we have a huge shortage. One of the things that we have done is expand telemedicine. And when you think about it, we have used technology in so many ways to build a better life. People are telecommuting in terms of work. You know, you can move millions or billions of dollars with the click of a mouse. And technology has changed medicine except for primary care and things like office visits. You know, they've been using technology for diagnoses for years, x-rays over the internet, things like that. So we we had a pilot, it's been about three years ago, to try telemedicine in a very small way. And the following year, we worked to expand it. Um, There was some resistance to it, and we had to put some caveats on it. We did not want folks to be able to prescribe serious prescription drugs. I want to say, what is it, Schedule 1 or 2 opioids and others over the internet or, you know, through face-to-face or even by email. So we put some restrictions around it. And then this year, we found such success with it, particularly in bringing mental health services to folks who desperately need it, but in a lot of areas, they don't have transportation. In rural areas, they don't even have providers. So you got to find a way to bring the treatment into the person, whether it's through their home. And 
the insurance providers have sort of joined in on this because they realize they can actually have better outcomes this way if they're able to stay in contact with people rather than a once a month office visit. You know, daily emails, chats, checking in by video conferencing, things like that. The two other bills, Senate Bill 59 and 13 House Bill 1391, are designed to increase the number of health professionals and and other professionals in our state. For years, Indiana did not have a four-year social work license. That put us at a distinct disadvantage with our surrounding states, all of whom had that. If you graduated from Anderson University or IU Kokomo or you know, USI, with a four-year social work degree, you would then had to go out into the field and then work towards your two-year master's in social work before you could get a license to actually practice or even be in an agency for billable hours or, you know, reimbursement of some sort. And that was a real problem for us. So we created a four-year social work license, which is great because now our own students can stay in Indiana and immediately now we've, we we kind of shape their scope of practice and it's designed to help keep them here rather than force them, one, to incur additional debt before they can get out there and have a meaningful employment situation, or two, force them to leave the state where they could go across the state line and immediately start to work. The other thing is we've improved our reciprocity. And by that, I mean someone who gets their license from an accredited institution out of state who may want to come back to Indiana to practice or chooses to come and live in Indiana. It's a lot easier for them to get their license here as long as they follow. we put some due diligence in the bill to make sure it's safeguard. And interestingly enough, I went to a baby shower this weekend where one of the young women just got her social work or master's in clinical social work license in California. California, and she's originally from this area and came back because she had a baby, wants to be close to her family. So this bill will help her actually get her license in Indiana easier than it would have been six months, 12 months ago. So I'm really excited by that. Representative Terry Austin of Anderson, a Democrat serving District 36 in the Indiana House of Representatives. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed it. Joining us now by phone is Representative Mike Karakoff of Kokomo. He's a Republican serving District 30 in the Indiana House of Representatives. Welcome, Mr. Karakoff. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Jeff and Max. Glad to be here. Representative, what strikes you as the most significant law to come from this recent legislative session? Well, I mean, clearly our, our budget proposal every two years is our constitutional responsibility, but the law that was different and that was many years in the making was House Enrolled Act 1002, which is the Transportation and Infrastructure Funding Bill. The uh, volume of work and the study that set up a long-term sustainable road funding program probably is, is the signature legislation for this session. Are you concerned that come July 1, People in your district, people across the state, they go and fill up their tank. Let's say they've got a pickup truck. Ten cents a gallon increase. Do you think that uh, they're going to see the need? Well, clearly the need's been demonstrated, but I guess from a practical matter, given the fluctuation in gas prices in the last uh, year, I don't think people are going to notice it. And, you know, it's sad that that's the case, but it's the truth. I think that uh, because we've seen these huge swings in oil prices and the price of the pump follows that, this is the right time to invest in our infrastructure. And so the need was demonstrated. I asked that question in my survey. People are fine with us investing in roads and bridges as long as the money stays in roads and bridges and we don't start diverting it to other uh, needs of the state. 
Yeah, Representative Karakoff, I, I, one of the things about this bill that has uh, created some concern, especially in a place like Terre Haute, is the possibility long-term of introducing toll roads into the mix for uh, raising revenues. I know that, uh, you know, I-70 has been mentioned as a possible toll road, and 65 both north and south is, has been talked about. And I, and I do know that the Department of Transportation will be the group that will ultimately uh, make some of the final decisions. How do you feel about that whole uh, aspect of this and how that may be received going forward? Well, I think the decision on tolling is really down the line quite a number of years. NDOT's got a petition the federal government to get a waiver, and we've got to continue to study the feasibility of tolling. And tolling today is a lot different than what it used to be. You know, we don't have toll booths. Uh, sensors can pick up your license plate, type of vehicle you're driving, send bills automatically. So I think that with such a large percentage of vehicle traffic in Indiana that is out of state, there may be a way to do some sorts to direct how we collect that money from which subgroups of users of the, of the road. So it's going to be studied, and in, in, it's going to be several years down the road. But, uh, Max, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm absolutely certain folks in Terre Haute, because they use 70, because it runs right through the city, it's obviously on their radar much more than the folks in District 30. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what you think are significant additions to um, the help that the state house is giving those who are struggling with addiction. Well, we we've expanded addiction treatment and it it's it's a terrible scourge on our society. There's no question about that. I think we all recognize that it's kind of you, you've got to have a two-prong approach. You you've got to treat the folks that have it and you have to have long-term sustainable treatment and you also have to do something to stop the supply. So, you know, there's a series of bills this year that broaden addiction treatment options. House Enrolled Act 106 had bipartisan support, came out of both chambers with wide support. It, it uh, does some things for uh, certified recovery and residences for chronic addicts, deaths of stuff for teen and teen substance abuse. It, it expands CHINS, which is the children that are in the state's care to include neonatal abstinence syndrome study. House Enrolled Act 1104 does stuff on banning synthetic urine. There, there's just, you know, when, when we talked about this in our candidates forum a year ago before the election, it's sad to see the how it's expanded so much so quickly. You, you, you can't hit it on enough fronts. So you got to treat it. It's got to be long-term treatment, and you got to do all you can to stem the peripheration and the availability of these opioids. Thank you, uh, Representative Karakoff. I know another issue that has been uh, real important uh, in, in all of our counties, certainly Howard and I know Vigo and here in Madison County, has been the expansion of pre-K. That was a big deal and it continues to be a big deal. All of these counties are affected. Uh, are you satisfied with the direction that the state is taking on this expansion? Well, I think we got more than we uh, thought we were going to get. I've always been a strong advocate for pre-K. I'm really happy that both Howard and Grant County are listed among the two counties that are going to be receiving the additional dollars for uh, quality early childhood education. We had a grant a number of years ago from Lilly that allowed IUK to have an early childhood education program, and I think 
the work that that group did demonstrated the need in Howard County, and of course, United Way and the Community Foundation locally have championed that. And so it got a lot of interest in, in Howard County. Just so excited to see the funds being made available. You know, it's 345 million increase to K-12, but then, you know, we're adding additional money of about 22 million for the pre-K. So that's, it's a pilot program. We want it to be successful. A number of years ago, I know Governor Pence turned down some federal dollars that were available, and there was a lot of criticism when that decision was made. And I think I think Governor Pence didn't take that available money because a commitment had been made with our colleagues in the Senate that we were going to evaluate pre-K and we were going to run a pilot program to measure its success before we broadened it. And even though the pilot's not complete, the preliminary results have demonstrated that it is successful, and all the experts are telling it's successful. And so we want to invest in these means-tested, low-income children to give them every opportunity we can. So, I, yeah, to answer, short answer to your question, yes, I'm very happy with the progress we've made, and I think as long as the results can see, continue to be favorable, um, we should grow it, providing it's quality pre-K. That's the determining factor, because to just put money into a problem without the right metrics to measure the success of these young children, we don't want to, we don't, we're not providing a babysitting service, we're providing an education service to our youngest children. And I hope that makes sense to you, Max. You've talked about children here, and that's a, a good segue to talk about a, a, a piece of legislation that you authored that is going to take effect July 1. Could you talk about that, please? Well, you know, House Rule Act 1245 does require, in, in circumstances, Notice to grandparents before their grandchild is adopted. There was a sad appeals court case in 2015 where grandparents' rights were terminated and they simply didn't realize their grandchild was being adopted. And so I had been contacted by a, a appellate court judge about this circumstance, lined up some Democrat uh, co-authors, and we championed this measure, got it out of uh, both the House and the Senate without a single negative vote because people understand that the relationship these children have with their grandparents is equally important. And in those circumstances where, where a child's grandparents are being really removed from their lives without any notice, without any opportunity for the grandparents to make their case to that court when the adoption occurs is, is a tragedy. And so we've got it in place. And now uh, in those circumstances, Chances where a child's lost a parent, they're going to be adopted, and that parent had a relationship with the child, they're going to be notified. So we're, we're excited to see that uh, pass, and hopefully we'll prevent that kind of tragedy moving forward. How much was the opioid problems, uh, how, did, how much did that affect your decision in, 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 in authoring this bill? The particular circumstance that this case was addressing was not uh, a result of a child that there was addiction issues involved. So, so it didn't. I mean, this, this is, um, a result of the Joaquim and Sutliff appeals case from 2015. Representative Mike Karakoff, a Republican from Kokomo serving House District 30. Thank you for being with us. 
This session of the General Assembly also marked the arrival on the scene of a new governor, Governor Eric Holcomb, a Republican, and he has made an impact. Undoubtedly, everyone agrees that he brought in an ambitious agenda, accomplished some of those, and I think he would bemoan the fact that he didn't necessarily get everything that he wanted, but he certainly made an impact. We took the opportunity to ask both of our guests today how they would rate the governor's performance during this first session. Here's what Representative Austin had to say. I'm going to give him an A minus to a B plus. I think leaning more on the A minus side, I really think he's doing a wonderful job. And I feel like personally, I'm developing a good relationship with him. We pose the same question to uh, Representative Karakoff. Here's what he had to tell us. For his first year, he definitely hit the ground running for a very brief window of being lieutenant governor. He understands the bureaucracy in ways that uh, really belie his short tenure. So, you know, if you want to assign a letter grade to it, you know, the legislature sometimes uh, does ask for letter grades. I'd give him an A. To learn more about the state's new laws and get a link to a complete description of what those laws do, visit TribStar.com or any of CNHI Indiana's websites. We have big plans for our public affairs podcast, and we hope you join us next time. For Jeff Kowaleski, this is Max Jones. See you next time.